G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Is it too much to ask for peace on earth at Christmas time? Is it too much to ask for peace on earth at Christmas time? Am I right in saying, friends, that we don't even really hear that as a serious question anymore? Uh, peace on earth, it is, it's a phrase, uh, it's a lovely phrase, it's a great daydream, it's a delightful pipe dream, uh, but let's bring it back down to reality for a moment, if we could, because aren't most of us striving, well, just for peace in our little patch of the world this Christmas time? Uh, We'd be over the moon if we could manage that, I suspect. It would be one of the best Christmases we've ever experienced if we could achieve peace, not on earth, but just in our tiny little corner of it, uh, if we could uh, somehow manage to get peace in our own family, Uh, especially between, and you'll just have to fill in the blanks here in your family, especially between Granny Grinch and Uncle Cranky, um, it'd be no small Christmas miracle if they alone could keep it together for the next few days. Um, Aren't most of us, uh, and perhaps I'm just thinking of young families like my own, aren't we trying to, uh, well, sort of trying our hearts out really in different ways to maintain some semblance, not of peace on earth, this grand vision, uh, or peace out there way out in the world, but let's just see if we can hold down some kind of peace when the lunch takes an hour or two longer than we'd kind of expected and hoped to make it to the lunch table or uh, the presents or one particular present in particular, it turns out to be a bit of a disappointment actually and it wasn't what was wanted and it wasn't what was requested and all of that kind of thing. Actually, never mind any of that stuff, peace on earth, peace with the in-laws or peace under my own roof or whatever, I'd consider it no small Christmas miracle if I could just find peace in my own heart at 11pm on Christmas Eve, when the English instructions to the trampoline that I'm desperately trying to build just is starting to do my head in. So you start to tease it out and peace on earth, I mean really, does any of us still believe in it? Uh, I know I've read these words to you before, but I do like the way Rico Tice puts it at this time of year. He says, for some, Christmas Day isn't about panicked shopping or tricky diplomacy, it's about quiet disappointment and even desperation. He says, to borrow from Charles Dickens, Christmas is both the best of times and the worst of times. It's a time of joy and loneliness, of excitement and despair, often within the same family and even in the same heart. For so many of us, there's a lot of sadness wrapped up with the tinsel each Christmas. There's grief nestled among the presents. Is it too much to ask? Peace on earth? Then why, friends, why on earth does God promise it? 
So to the shepherds, uh, we began with this reading actually, to those lucky shepherds at Christ's arrival, you probably remember the words, so you don't need to look them up, but they're in Luke chapter 2, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests, peace. Or even stronger, I think, or at least a more complicated, uh, a full vision uh, from Mary's lips uh, when, the, uh, when she meets uh, Elizabeth and uh, contemplating the work that God is doing through the baby to be born um, in her. So this is what the Christ is supposed to bring and usher in this wonderful work of God. Luke, in Luke chapter 1 verse 50, his, as in God's, th- through this uh, Lord, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. It sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Let's pray as we come to this wonderful prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11. Our Father God in heaven, we we do confess before you today that we sometimes have a hard time reconciling the brilliant and glowing optimism of your promises with the lived experience and reality of our own lives in this world at times. And some of us tend toward pretending the badness of the world away and deciding to only see the good and we just don't know what to do or say with profound evil when it does rear its ugly head. Um, Others of us slide into a sort of resigned cynicism which kind of blunts our hope and kind of tarnishes our joy and takes away something of the warmth that we feel we ought to have as children of the living God. And yet we see Jesus at Christmas time particularly. This baby, this emblem of hope, our God with us. And yet, in the lowliest of circumstances, there in the manger, with a very hard life ahead of him indeed. Father God, would you please shine the light of your good words into our hearts and into our hopes now as we turn to Isaiah chapter 11 and your word, these ancient words of promise to us today. And in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Dead. Dead. That's how Isaiah seems to describe the hopes of God's people for world peace, for peace on earth in the 8th century BC. That's when Isaiah was around, uh, speaking amongst the um, uh, God's children in the uh, nation of Judah, God's people around 2,800, 2,700 uh, years ago now, dead. That's where their hopes were at. Um, Is it too much to ask for peace on earth? You bet it is. 
Um, have a look with me, if you could. We, we're going to very quickly just run over this passage, get a little bit of a sense of the context of Isaiah speaking God's words to these people way back then, all of this time ago. Now, I know for some of us, we're well familiar with the sort of 8th century BC context. We do talk about it from time to time here, but maybe some of us need to just sort of find that gear again, wrap our heads around it. So we're going to do that quickly just by skimming over the passage um, swiftly. Have a look with me here. Um, why do I say firstly that their hopes are dead at this point in the history of God's people when they receive this word from the Lord through Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11. Well, firstly, because we, they, we had hoped to find a man, I think this is the way they'd have conceived of it, that we'd have hoped to find a man on the throne of God's people by now, a man whose love for justice who's concerned to make decisions that actually serve the people that he leads, who's concerned to repair broken lives and nurture a life and a culture in God's nation, God's people that's worth sharing and worth shining to the world out around us, we had hoped that all of that would outshine personal selfishness in our king, personal agenda and greed and going off half-cocked in their power. That's the impression that I'm getting of what leadership had come to in Israel. Uh, So by contrast, have a look at the promise that's made here in Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, We'll pick it up from verse 3. So he, this king, ruler, leader, character, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he'll judge Uh, the needy. With justice, he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his his lips. He'll slay the wicked. And what a change a ruler like that would be after literally centuries of the kind of kings that they've actually had, do you see? Now, why do I say that their hopes are dead? Well, because we had hoped that by now we'd have moved beyond uh, not just a crooked king, but moved beyond a relationship with our land, with our planet, with our nation, with with this land that God had promised us, moved beyond. We'd hoped that by now we'd have moved beyond a kill or be killed mentality with our planet to something a little bit more wholesome, a little bit more holistic, a little bit more healthy for both us, its inhabitants, and this land in which we find ourselves. By now, uh, they'd been in the land for what? Uh, Since the time of Moses, Joshua. 600 years, thereabouts, round figures, maybe longer. Had they come to experience this yet? Have a look, verse 6, Isaiah 11, verse 6, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Well, sorry, will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into a viper's nest. They'll neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I think in our culture... Today, folks, it's easy for us to forget that for so much of the history of God's children in this world, a peaceable, productive, prosperous relationship with the actual land and its creatures 
Um, that was just part of the spiritual life. It was back in uh, there, at least for ancient Israel, wasn't it? In a sense, may we recover something of a sense of that in our day. But nevertheless, it was just a pipe dream for them in theirs, wasn't it? So why do I say their hopes uh, in this period of history were dead? Their hopes for peace on earth? Well, thirdly, and lastly, because we had hoped to live out our lives before God with the world and its people, not just surrounding us and against us, but held at bay somehow. No, but the world and its people alongside of us and amongst us, loving and serving the greatest God, the only God, the God who is our God, who is there and who is with us and He is ours. But do you know what it had come to in their day? Well, reading between the lines, in fact, it's pretty obvious, this one, between, you don't even have to read between the lines. Not only have we lost God for ourselves, but it seems here that God has lost us. Have a look from verse 10. Uh, in that day, the root of Jesse, that's the, uh, the, this king leader character, uh, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, from the islands of the Mediterranean. Do you see, if God wants his worshippers, well, he's going to have to go to the ends of the earth to get them back because that's where we've been flung to. Friends, Isaiah speaks a word of promise into a world that I think has lost its hope for peace on earth, hasn't it? Because where's it going to come from? Where is our God anyway? Where even are we and what can we hope to do about it? Are you up to the task of bringing peace on earth in your lifetime? And so you have a look at verse 1 again now. What's the image there? A shoot will come up from what? From the stump of Jesse. That's what it had become. A stump, a dead stump, chopped down, fallen, nothing left. It's lying there, rotting on the ground. The stump, because let's face it, our hopes are dead. For centuries we've tried, for generations we've failed, across the globe we have become scattered. And it's a nice dream and all, but reality has just chipped and chopped and eroded it away until what's left? It's been chopped down. I think uh, that the emblem at this time of year for us is probably those Christmas trees we buy from the Scouts at Mitre 10. What's going to happen to them? They're going to burn one day soon, aren't they? It's going to be the end. Friends, do you know what it is, do you know what it is to look out at our world as it really is and wish, wish that we could fix ourselves, wish that we could mend the brokenhearted, wish that we had, that we had something to heal the wounded, to nurse the abused, to give justice back to the betrayed? Do you know what it is to look out at our world and wish that we, yeah, wish we had trod more lightly on our planet? 
Um, we seem to be getting much sharper, don't we, with our technology and so forth, and uh, smarter at analysing what we've done wrong, measuring the damage, uh, but we make such slow progress, don't we, in even beginning to repair, let alone sort of reverse, model a more harmonious global stewardship of God's beautiful and yet fragile creation that he's placed us in. Do you know what it is to look out at our world and wish and long for a world full of men and women and boys and girls who stand shoulder to shoulder with us in the things of the Lord because we all believe the same thing, because we've all found the same God in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we, uh, we can sing with one another, we can pray for one another, cry and laugh and eat with one another. What a vision it is. Well, God says to his children here in the 8th century BC, 2,700 years ago, I don't want you to just wish for it. I don't want you to just hold it up as a pipe dream, a pretty picture, put it on your wall. I want you to know that it's coming. I want you to know this is reality and this is where you should put your hopes. Really know it. And he goes on to guarantee it in four different things, four promises that you can hang your hat on, you can stake your life on. I want you to do that, says God. We've got four things to look at quickly now. Firstly, your hopes may be as dead as a stump, okay? Well, I promise you a spiritual Lord. Now, do we have the ears to hear what a stupendous promise these few verses hold for us here? To have the wisdom and heart of God at the helm of mankind. Let's have a look here. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. What is this promise that we're to hold Two, as God's people. Uh, 11 verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Uh, Jesse was kind of the, the ancestor of the kings, right? A child of King uh, David was Jesse's child, King David. So all of the kings came from that line amongst the people of Israel. Jesus eventually did, um, of course. It's referring to an actual legitimate, legit Messiah for God's people. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now, hang on, what actual difference would it really make in a, a broken and messy and scattered uh, world to genuinely have God at the helm because that's what the promise is here isn't it? is this leader who's endowed with God's spirit himself the Lord's spirit wisdom might knowledge understanding well it would mean an end to actual evil in the world what an extraordinary promise just have a look uh, from verse uh, three so not only a spiritual Lord but one who is a selfless leader uh, just digest this, verse 3, he, this character, he will delight in the fear of the Lord, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he'll judge the needy, with justice he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth, he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he'll slay the wicked. 
Are you weary of the way that the, the poor in this world are held in their poverty and the unscrupulous and evil fatten themselves on whomever they can enslave or exploit and in some ways in such a, a rich Western country as we're in, we end up kind of complicit in that somehow by the way that some people in our kind of manufacturing or whatever is clouded to us and, and all of the rest. Are we tired of that? They get away with it. They die, live and die happy and rich. Are you sick and tired of the system working for those who already know how to play it to their own advantage? Then can we hear this? So is he. So is he. Do we dare hope for this as a real day, as a moment in history? Wow, what if it actually happened? When not only a spiritual Lord comes as a selfless leader, but he establishes a prosperous planet. Now, can I just make a little comment here as we move to look at verse 6 and following? Because I think in our culture, the shoe is a little bit on the other foot. You see, here in Isaiah, um, when and as they became in history a displaced and exiled and um, threatened, eventually conquered people, uh, the world to them, as in the physical world, it was hostile, wasn't it? It was a pretty, you know, violent, scary, life-threatening kind of a place. I mean, I presume that the writer here um, knows what an actual lion looks like, uh, knows what actual... I mean, I know we do because we see pictures of it, but you know what I mean. These were actual threats, not just kind of hypothetical ones. We've subdued them, do you see? So, uh, the actual lions, actual snakes, actual leopards, every example that's in these verses from verse 6 to verse 9... Uh, is one where hostility reigns and life is at stake. Now, for us, it's worth noticing that our relationship with the creation is generally not on that footing anymore. Um, In some sense, we have the opposite posture. Now, it's true, yes, uh, there are all sorts of ways in which we are powerless before some of the forces in in this created physical um, world. We are able to succumb to all sorts of things. We can still drown. We, uh, disease can and does um, conquer us. We are powerless as degenerative illness ravages our bodies and our minds. Uh, Those are probably the, the cobras and the vipers, aren't they? But very often, isn't it true, we have so subdued and domesticated the world around us, the most fearsome natural threats, that now we are the great beasts to be feared. And in a sense, sadly, I think we've replaced one imbalance for a different kind of imbalance. But anyway, here here we go. Let's have a look at the, the image here. The promise, what we look forward to, even if we can't figure out how it biologically, anatomically kind of works. Verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And lastly, fourthly, as I mentioned already, a world in which we share the truth, share our songs, 
and our food and our hearts and our God. And friends, there's peace on earth. There, I believe, is the hope that he gave his children permission to hold on to, not just as a pleasant pipe dream, not just as a lovely idea pinned on your wall, but as a promised prophecy. Will you take hold of this, O people of God? Verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse, this king saving leading character, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath and from the islands of the Mediterranean. Which for the Jews, by the way, the, the, way that met, the, the word that they used uh, for the Mediterranean is, is just the sea. And the sea to the Jews in that era at least, it was, um, uh, well, so the, the, the sentence runs something like, from the islands of the sea, the sea being that thing that was feared and chaotic and unconquerable, it might as well say that the universe, the ends of the earth, yes, the whole world. Christian, every corner of the earth, that's where your brothers and sisters and your newfound friends, under the banner of this blessed uh, branch character, they will come from everywhere. The very furthest and darkest and weirdest and most wonderful places to him, with us. Do you believe it? Is it too much to ask for peace on earth at Christmas time? Because God promised it. And seven centuries later, Jesus appeared. Come with me, if you could please, now to Matthew chapter 3. And just some of those words that Jane read to us um, earlier. Matthew chapter 3. Come with me there, seven centuries later, as we begin to see this really emerge onto the world stage and take root in our own hearts, I trust and hope and pray. Where would Matthew, we're going to read a few verses here from verse 11, where would Matthew have us look for peace on earth? Where would John the Baptist, we read his words in just a moment, where would John the Baptist have us go to find peace on earth? Where would God himself have us go to find the fulfilment of those prophecies? A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Let's have a look. We pick it up from verse 11, and John the Baptist is the one speaking there. Uh, the John, that famous prophet, born or cousin of Jesus, born immediately before Jesus. This is John speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning off the chaff with unquenchable fire. Does it sound familiar? The spiritual Lord, the selfless leader, finally emerging on the world stage. Uh, Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. Skip down verse 16. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptised, He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. 
Brothers and sisters, uh, all of us here this morning, I guess the, the simple thing I want us to hear loud and clear today from the Scriptures is, uh, is this. Have your hopes grown dim? Has your optimism become a bit blunted, really? Has your warmth about the world grown a bit cold? Your enthusiasm become clipped and curbed and does it cower just a little bit because perhaps we've forgotten these words, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Your hopes were dead, but he's here. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Could I give us four ways, by, in, in closing, four ways to put a living hope of peace on earth back in place in our lives? This Christmas, four ways, and maybe maybe three of them are not quite, they're not quite you. You've already got those under control, and just one of them might be helpful for you. I'll give you. I'll just put four ways out there. So, number one, if Christ is our one hope and our expectation of peace on earth, then friends, brothers, and sisters, let us face the at times depressing reality of our world's badness and evil and brokenness and abusiveness, yet with a resolute hope of repair. Remember, if he raised Jesus from the grave, if he raised Jesus from death, then what lies beyond his power to heal, to turn, to restore, to repair? If Christ died, not only under the judgment of God, in that cosmic sense, but under the injustice and abuse of our world and could yet rise to life in the resurrection on the third day and fullness and health and wholeness. Look at him there in the stories of the resurrection. Is there anything that we can't be hopeful for in this world? Secondly, do we allow ourselves an optimism about God's plan for this created world, for the globe on which we live, for this present reality. Not the kind of optimism that leads us to just a reckless complacency, uh, you know, as if climate change doesn't matter or who cares or it doesn't matter, God's going to have to fix the world anyway. No, of course it matters. Because creation matters. Because people matter. Because my actions matter. And yet can we bring an active optimism even to that sphere of our lives? For a world at peace requires that the world not be in pieces. Thirdly, are we able to discern a dignity in the little gestures that we make to make the world a better place? With a sense that we are agents of him who means to bring peace to our world. And that means my daily efforts do matter. The little gestures, the little things, they mean something. At least they mean something to him. Do you realise that? Do you find comfort in that? And finally and fourthly, will we see ourselves as people who are already part of the solution to our world's deepest and darkest problems? The problem that only the good news of Jesus can face and can fix and will fix If we can see ourselves in that light, then the world, do you see, I think, becomes the place where we seek to find those who with us will worship the one true God, shoulder to shoulder, 
with us from even the least likely places of our world. Let's pray together. Our Father God in heaven, by your Spirit, Christ breathed peace into a world which knew tension and fighting and strife and pain and sorrow. And in the Gospel, Father, we have found peace with you with such a relief and a joy. We don't have to fight you or impress you or wrestle you. We've found peace in one place at least in life, before you, in Christ, by your Spirit. And what a blessing that is and what a hope that is for the future of your world. Father, we do long and we look forward to Christ's return and the restorative work that he will complete on that day. And Father, we do mourn and groan at the evil that surrounds us and perhaps especially the evil that far too often comes from us. Would you have mercy, please? Would you cultivate more and more life from Christ's healing gospel through us and in us and amongst us? Father, too many of our loved ones and our neighbours and friends, they see peace on earth as, as just a pipe dream or they've cynically given up on it altogether. Father, may they and may we find afresh in Jesus the commitment of our God to a wonderful world. May we see that commitment afresh in his cross for us. May they see that commitment and foretaste and promise in his resurrection from the grave and from death. May those around us come shoulder to shoulder with us and sing with us and hope with us and pray with us and strive with us that the peace of Christ may be found on earth even this Christmas. And in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.